everybody. Welcome back to Riffs and Scripts. Riffs and Scripts. Riffs and Scripts. Uh, I we do that every week, but I feel I feel well, weird without it now, don't you? It's becoming natural. Yeah, absolutely. Like like you know, some people only feel natural when they have a poo if they're naked. I'm what? Peter Andre does that. That's the first yeah, I, thing you're going to bring up. That's the literally yeah, how you want to start this week. I do, I do. I uh, so I, I I saw in an interview with Peter Andre that he has to poo naked. He was on like Would I Lie to You or something. And here's the weird thing: I once worked at a cafe and I served Peter Andre in that cafe. This is absolutely totally true. And he went to the loo and he was there for a really long time. So I wonder if he went to the loo, Stripped got naked, off. had a poo, put all his clothes back on. And then came out and had his lovely little hoisin duck salad. I feel like you were sat just like waiting to bring that up because that came out of fucking nowhere, mate. It did. It did. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, it's totally true, though. Anyway, how, how's your week been? Um, it's been. I've been ill, actually. It's not been good. Um, I, I, I'm, I've been wanting to finish off my booth, but I've been knackered, mate. Fortunately, not COVID, so that's nice. Yeah. That was that was a lovely thing to wake up to, because I woke up and was like, because I work in the NHS, so I have to get tested if I've got any symptoms at all straight away. Yeah. I mean, everyone has to do it anyway. But um, woke up because I felt rubbish the night before. Woke up coughing and blah. It wasn't COVID, but it was lovely little, you know, morning little trip to get my nose and back of my throat all blah. So that was good. That was a lovely little little Thursday morning treat for me. Lovely. Fair so enough. So that's pretty much been my week so far. How about you, mate? It's been all right. I've, I'm I'm feeling the the lockdown boredom. I've been saying I think part of the issue is that my day job at the moment is working with kids, and I love working with kids. There's so much to love about it, but I think I'm just my brain is really sick of either being alone in my flat or talking to five-year-olds, you know? Yeah, I don't help with that really, do I? So I've been trying to um, just find ways to entertain myself, like slightly more stimulating things, like watching TED Talks and podcasts. I've been practicing my French this week, actually. Um, yeah, just to... Tell me something in French right now. What would you like me to tell you? Anything, and I'll try and work out what you're saying. Uh, je mal au mes pieds. J'ai mal au pied. J'ai mal au mes I, pied. I mal au pied. Yep, close enough. I. Well, it's not je. No, no, no. It's not je. Uh, it's je. J apostrophe. Oh, J a i s. That's is it? well. Yeah, I have. I have not weed. What? Pied. 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 What's pied? Mes pieds means my feet. I said my feet hurt in French. Oh, I thought you said I have no feet. No, so when you're in... Okay, I don't know that why we're suck. doing this. But in French, when you're saying that something hurts, you say I have bad. That's the literal oh, translation. So it's like That's mal, how you say it. Mal, and Yeah, so if I said je mal à la tête means I have a headache. Oh, okay. So um, je mal... Malady, yeah, yeah, yeah. So je mal aux mes pieds means my feet are aching, my feet Yeah, I, I thought mal as in because M-A-S is, is don't, is, is not, no, I don't have it. Or is that nah? I don't know. It's ne and part around a verb. Anyway, this we've tangent, yeah. we've gone off have on one we, before we've actually have started. Have we really? I'm sorry. I mean, guys. this is the preamble, surely. But yeah, that's what I've been up to this week. That was that was my answer, really. You've been practicing Oh my French. gosh, Cole! Cole, Cole, Cole! Yeah? I lost my D and D virginity today. Oh my god! Today. Today. Was it? Was it everything you thought it would be? It was quite chill, actually. It was quite relaxed. 
that's cool. Um, it is interesting when people have made really quite conflicting characters and part yeah, of yeah, the fun good. is seeing how they combine in the story. So we've basically got one playing, like make having a, having fun with his character being an utter little coward and like a thief, but an utter coward. I've got one friend who wants her character to just be the baddest bitch ever with a giant axe and wants to kill everybody. And then I've oh, made, yeah, I've made a half elf ranger who just wants to like, travel and study things but often chooses the non-violent option and there we the, go. yeah so it's it's an interesting mix but it was really fun it was really fun that's cool super cool there's some um, there's whole things about um party balance so a lot of a lot of games have like a session zero and the idea is you kind of set down what can everyone expect from this campaign are there any areas no one wants we did to touch upon uh things like that and uh one of the usual ones is you know are we having evil characters or not? Are we having good characters or not? What kind of thing? So my current one is kind of neutral towards good, but sometimes it's kind of fun to have characters that are a tiny bit evil. Yeah, um, the the badass bitch character, she's chaotic evil, I'm chaotic good. So whatever happens, we're going to have fun doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be weird. It's going to yeah. be weird. And I don't chaotic think... neutral is the weird one. Well, how can you be chaotic and neutral? That makes no okay, bloody sense. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yes, you can. Okay, so you've got two scales in D&D. D &D. It's lawful to chaotic, and then you've got the moral scales, which is, you know, good and good and evil, right? So you've yeah. got your attitude to law and order, and then you've got your attitude to goodness, right? And uh, or, or morality. So if you're a chaotic good character then you're someone who is i'm gonna do the right thing and i think the system is broken so i will do good and break and you know avoid con yeah, conforming yeah. to the system whereas a lawful good character is like a the lawyer. law exists to well no no, no lawful, that's more lawful evil actually isn't it yeah, yeah. i'd say either lawful evil or lawful neutral for for lawyers because lawyers love getting paid but uh <laughs> <laughs> man um but, you know, yeah, lawful good is people like Superman, maybe. Um, it's really good to come up with an analogies to do with kind of pop culture stuff. So then you have... So someone who's chaotic neutral would be someone who is... I don't believe in law, law and order, and I'm a bit selfish, but don't necessarily want to, like, hurt anyone, you know? Yeah, a, a vigilante. weird people. No, a vigilante's of. chaotic they're, good. Mm, they're chaotic Probably good. chaotic good, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know... It's it's a very imperfect measure, but it's very helpful to people that are new to things like D and D to just kind of go, okay, that that gives me a bit of an indicator of where I'm going to go with this character. There we go. Well, there we go. What you, don't, are we... you don't come here for this, but you know, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Turns let's, up. let's get on track. What are we talking about today? We're doing another back to basics episode. Uh, yeah, Cole yeah. has more he wants to say about guitars. Feels like we really like did a tip of the iceberg kind of chat last time. Yeah, um, so much. For me, we talked about headshots, so I'm going to go to the next step of your acting CV, basically, and talk about showreels. So, Cole, I feel like yours connects better. So, last time we talked about guitars, we talked about material, types of wood, we talked about weight, I remember, because I remember us yeah. talking about, like, the big booty of the guitar. Yeah, what, the big booty. What have you got to tell us next? I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's such a big subject. I think strings is one of my go-to next... Um, next subjects because strings are actually incredibly important and you may not realize this so new players typically like thinner strings um and players who are doing things that are very intricate and don't necessarily care much about um 
the the way that they can affect your tone because generally kind of heavier strings are um harder to bend harder to to fret and muck around with um but they do have a more of a kind of percussive impact on your tone um so i mentioned last time stevie ray vaughan um he used really heavy strings and what it means is that there's a great attention on your guitar and that means um, you have to adjust your truss rod, which is, uh, there's a metal rod that goes through the neck of your electric guitar, if you've got an electric solid solid body guitar, and, and loads of other guitars. But um, there's a little metal rod, and depending on how tight uh, how tight it is, how, where, how it's been tightened, it's got a very slight curve in it, and it basically pushes the neck back slightly or forward slightly, and that affects things like intonation. So anything you change on your guitar that's to do with the strings and the strings touching the um, the actual, you know, the meat and gravy of the guitar, the meat and gravy, the body or the neck of the guitar, it, it has an effect on everything else. It's like an ecosystem and you have to balance everything out. So um, I favour kind of medium strings, so they're called tens because the yeah, lightest the string. Worlds kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. So you get a, a good bit of kind of that percussive tony stuff, but it's easier to bend. So a lot of new guitarists prefer nines, which are the thinnest, thinnest. I can't remember the actual physical measurement, but they're called the the thinnest one is like a nine, and then the the thickest one is like a fifty-two or a forty-eight or something. Okay. Whereas on tens, tens the 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 thick tens, the thinnest one tens, is a ten. Tens across the board. And, that was a drag um, race reference. There we go. There we go. So Nath in in uh, Hell's Gazelles, he uses really heavy strings for the first three strings, the lowest three strings, as in the lowest tuned three strings, technically the highest if you're looking at the guitar. But he uses uh, kind of middling kind of heaviness strings on the lighter strings because it means that when he's playing rhythm, he gets a big fat percussive rhythm sound but he has a bit of ease when he's playing little soloy bits little widdly bits with some bends on the lighter strings and uh it's it's a whole whole interesting subject about the history of it because uh when eric clapton was starting out eric clapton is known for using really thin strings and he used to get banjo strings really yeah yeah because they were the only strings that were made thin enough for him to put them uh for him to do what he wanted to do and uh tony iomi found out about this Tony Amy from Black Sabbath who have big heavy sound and part of that big heavy sound he got that as I mentioned because he got the tips of his fingers cut off in a factory accident I think I mentioned this last time mm. so it was so painful for him to press down he had like um plastic and leather on his fingers it was so painful for him to press down on heavier strings that he wanted to get the lightest string gauge possible and that's banjo yeah, and so we got banjo. Really he got, he got, I didn't even he know got that. some banjo strings or like one banjo string, and then got the highest, the like uh, lowest gauge, I think it is, um, for the rest of his strings, and then kind of moved them all one string down. So on Nate's guitar, he has the equivalent of a bass string on his fattest, lowest tuned string. So the E string, if you if you're using common tuning. But um, yeah, it's all oh, this. It's such a big subject. And Eric Clapton, fun fact, used to be called Slow Hands because he used to before his gigs. People think it's because his hands looked like they were moving really slowly before his um when he played his solos. It's not true. What happened was he had really thin guitar strings and they go out of tune really easy. And he had to tune up every every um gig at the start. And it took him ages and ages and ages. And people were doing clap, clap clap you know get a move on all the time 
so yeah um another thing to do with that is Tony Omi that was interesting about Tony Omi doing it is because Black Sabbath were a band who tuned down earlier than a lot of other guitars uh, a lot of other bands um they tuned their guitars down to a lower um a lower tuning so common tuning is C um E A D G B E and they tuned down to C. What was the little rhyme? Because I did guitar in primary school. What's the little way you remember it? Every... No, that's with piano. They... Did you never Every have... good boy deserves something. Well, that was... No, see, that's the thing. That's in sheet music. That's like every good boy deserves food. Yeah, yeah. Or they made it for I mean, I never, I never bothered to learn the acronyms. What was the I... one for the... What was the one for the guitar? Oh, that's going to drive me nuts. But yeah, every good boy deserves food. Or then they change it to every good boy deserves football when they realised all children deserve food. <laughs> but Bad that's, boys that's and with, girls That's with sheet music, that one. That's the gaps that's, that's in about sheet the lines. music. Yeah, that's about the lines in notation. Yeah. But um, there's, anyway. there's, there's lots, of, lots of tunings about people muck around with it. And it's something, if you're into guitar, you know, and you're getting bored and feel a bit, a bit stuck in a rut, muck around with your tunings. Dad gad is one that um, is used a lot, D-A-D-G-A-D, which is used a lot in folk music. And I think Keith Richards um, of the Rolling Stones did some stuff in that. He did loads of weird tunings throughout the Rolling Stones records because he just wanted to kind of push the boat out on what he was doing. So, um, yeah, when Tonaomi tuned down, it became a set, another precedent. Black Black Sabbath set so many precedents for metal bands and um, it set a big precedent for metal bands down tuning all their all their sounds to try and ape what he was doing so as i said it, it changed your changes your whole setup when you detune when you uh use different string gauges and what happens is if you don't set it up right your intonation is out um and that means that um basically the further higher up you go on the fretboard the more out of tune you're gonna get okay um so you know on a guitar if you look at it from the top where the kind of the neck where the, if you look at the neck yeah. and the top where the kind of headstock is um the frets are really far apart and then yeah, they, and get, they closer gradually and closer get closer together. together yeah yeah so it's all about getting the ratio right and so you have to adjust the truss rod for that but you also have to adjust the action now action when i say that is referring to um how far away the strings are from the neck and how it affects how the playability of it right so right. action is kind of kind of really synonymous with the playability. So something that um, where the strings are really far away from the neck is actually a lot harder to play. And um, well, yeah, because lot... in theory, if we really strip it back to what a guitar is, it's holding yeah. down the strings against the neck at different yeah. places and plucking and that the, and picking up the resonance. The distance, yeah, yeah that's the distance that's, the, makes that's the how resonance. a guitar works. Yeah, so yeah. if it's really far away from the neck, your job is automatically. That's like playing a piano where the strings are really where the keys are really stiff. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just like that. Yeah. It's um, yeah, which is so, a nightmare, so by the way. Some blues people prefer to have their action a bit, a bit higher up, and it's yeah. interesting. So, so like really heavy metal, kind of shreddy neoclassical people will generally prefer to have their action really low. But what that means is you can end up with loads of problems, like fret buzz and stuff like that. So, if if there's any unevenness or if the action isn't quite right and the truss rod isn't adjusted properly, then you can have a fret buzz where you get this sound, or it's basically bouncing against another fret fret that you don't want so i um, have a question so yeah. there are some instruments that don't even have frets you just remember you know like a big double yep. bass or something why, or what what does a what does a fret do why 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 so a fret it, it's it's um part of to do with our weird western obsession with 
um, uh, ordering things in into into our modes, uh, which is really a so really odd way of saying it. So it's a training we tool. think of notes. Well, not quite. We think of notes as going da 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 da. You know, we have things that notes are a set place, and basically that was all just decided one day because there are, you know, a, a, a note is only the kind of number of reverberations that happen um, in like um, in like a sound wave, right? So something with more reverberations more has a higher frequency, then it's higher than something with less. So actually, you can kind of pick anywhere all the way along, and it's still a sound and a note it's just that we have kind of ordered and categorized a lot of them and in certain types of music you have kind of half semitones and things like that yeah um it's it's all mixed up with how um we have like a mode system so a mode is like a set of modes are kind of a set of scales they're all kind of grecian modes and basically they all kind of interlock in a very satisfying and very ordered way that makes things a lot easier to work out when you're doing stuff, right? But, you know, um, Django Reinhardt, I believe, is someone who used a lot of these kind of microtones um, between tones. So if I go, you know, I'm singing a semitone, but there are tones in between that. I um, So, fun story. Um, I remember yep. doing a musical once, and just for context, in, in the cast that was there... Uh, I had the highest voice, which is rare for someone to hear me say because I'm normally quite an alto, but I'm an alto with range. So if you ask me mm. to harmonize and you ask me to hit some high notes, I can. Uh, so that's what we were doing. We were doing a four part harmony and I did it in a very high key, but just to save your ears, I'll do it low down. And I remember the notes went da, 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 da. So it had like going from E flat to E. Yeah. And I remember, well, and again, it was very, it was like, it was all up there but yeah. um i remember the md was like okay just so you know semitones are not equal and an e flat is actually so close to an e natural and i literally yeah, remember i remember sitting doing chromatic scales on my keyboard every day trying to get good at the d and yeah i'll never forget that the e flat is an annoying note because it's not it's not balanced it's not halfway between a D it's, and an it's, e. it's, it's yeah we've got this three weird quarters kind of, of the way isn't it yeah western construct and we we ordered everything and put it on a piano and put it on sheet music and it doesn't quite make sense but it does it makes of, sense we're at, on a basic level there's a whole thing about um music um our brain loves to make sense of stuff and it loves things that it's heard before but extrapolations upon things that's that it's heard before mm. so our whole idea of um kind of harmony and stuff is based off thousands of years of it being done a certain way or at least hundreds of years of it being done a certain way particularly in the western world it's not quite the same everywhere else um but you know we've got buckets of composers who are all basically reading off the same script because of kind of standardization of certain stuff a bit like the standardization of spelling really um that's a really you know, good way of putting the, it or the, even the a, an alphabet the invention of the typewriter um, basically got rid of the language of Scots, which isn't is it's it's just close enough to English that you can kind of understand what's happening if you read it, but it is definitely a different language. But basically, the invention of the typewriter, um, sorry, the invention of the printing press, sorry, the um, uh, I think it Gutenberg press was um, it, it it kind of signified the death of the Scots language, as in the language of Scots, because it had, it was its own not quite Gaelic type thing, 
Um, and it's kind of similar because we've ended up erasing loads of interesting um, uh, different bits of, of, of cultural music because we've done Western standardization of things. Um, a really good example of, of kind of using differences between tones is blues. B.B. King, who's one of my favorite blues guitarists, says that um, blues lives between the uh, minor third and major third. It's all about the bends, right? Right. Um, so that's uh, bends. Yeah, that's a whole thing with guitar, actually, that doesn't really apply to most other instruments. Um, at least it applies to electric guitar. It doesn't apply to classical guitar. And it does It does apply to acoustic guitar, but classical guitarists don't typically do that. No. But um, it's when you put your finger really hard down on a fret and then you move your finger and then you gently increase it. And, and it makes uh, that vibrato. twang noise. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. Going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so it's how um, guitarists kind of replicate the voice because we can do vibrato with our voices and it's not as instinctive um, with guitar. Um, and really that's mucking about with, with um, the pitch you're doing very slightly and it's whole an interesting um, bit of guitar that everyone needs to learn if they're going to pick up the electric guitar. Um, uh, another one that people typically do is bending higher off of the fourth because then you hit that... Um, diminished fifth which is called the blues note um and it's also very prominent in lots of bits of classical music like um mars the bringer of war so that's a diminished uh fifth or elevated fourth yeah you go from uh, a fourth to to a diminished fifth and that's uh interestingly something that black sabbath did a lot as well basically i just love black sabbath and i just want to refer everything in my life to black sabbath because they're so good but yeah (laughs) people say that to me about musicals people are like no matter what conversation you're happening amber will (laughs) make a musical reference oh do you know what's really cute today by the way um So it's half term this week. So yeah. all my usual classes are just paused for the week. But uh, the company are doing like uh, home support, one-on-one kind of online tutoring. And so the only thing I had to do this week was an hour with these these two little girls. And they're really lovely. I didn't mind it at all. We have loads of fun. And then today I was like, we haven't done any singing in ages. Should we sing something? What do you want to sing? And they requested Doa Deer. Aww. which is from the oh sound my of God, music you felt so much which yeah, i was literally have... talking about last week and i was yeah. like absolutely and we just whacked it on and for five minutes just the three of us sat and sang some sound of music together and it was really lovely oh it's adorable right sometimes working with kids and i mean we'll talk about it more on another day job episode but like sometimes the fact that you work with children it can be emotionally draining because you have to be this this happy full of energy energy thing but and sometimes you just it's so hard making forcing that out of yourself but sometimes because that's just what children are like anyway they can kind of do it for you and they did that for me this morning i woke up like oh it's freezing it's meant to be my half term and i I don't i can't be (sighs) bothered but they're good kids it's fine and then they were the happy bubbly little girls for me and they like really like brightened my day up and it was so lovely and we all sang Super Sound of sweet. Music together. How cute, oh, adorable. right? Which again is all about the scale, isn't it? That song is a, that song, a female did. It's all about breaking down the basics of music and the notes and a little way exactly. of remembering them. It's very sweet. So a show reel. What is a show reel in an ideal situation? 
in an ideal situation, your showreel is going to be uh, little snippets. It's like a little trailer of your acting. It's specific to screen. It's not the same as a theatre reel or a movement reel or a dance reel. Those are different things. A showreel in an ideal world uh, consists of clips from all the amazing paid professional screen work you've done. So it will say... Um, if I took myself as an example, although most of my professional screen work is outdated now, but we'll come back to that. But it would be like, okay, Amber Savage Showreel, uh, name of their agent or something like that. But even then you don't have to do that. And then it will be 30 seconds of you in EastEnders and then 30 seconds of you in that lead part in a movie you had and 30 seconds of you in that other part where you did a cool accent. And they all so contrast and oh my God, look at her range. And isn't she a range. professional? It's in an, I- that's what it is in an ideal world. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. However, it's that catch 22 situation. You know how like when um, you're first applying for jobs and it's like you need more experience, but how do I fucking get the experience? Yeah, if no yeah, one's gonna... of course. Yeah. There's, a, there's like a showreel equivalent to that because before you get anywhere near that level of career where you've got, unless you were a successful child actor, which actually I was, but as I said, time passes. So the stuff I did as a kid um, is kind of irrelevant now. But anyway, uh, b- to get to that stage, to get to a stage where you've got four examples of you with really professional great screen work with range you need to have gone through so many other hurdles and so many um like ladders steps on the ladder of your career and to go through those hurdles and to get to that stage you're going to have needed a showreel already it's this catch-22 so that's the ideal situation my point is realistically 70% of showreels don't look like that because when you're first applying, especially if you don't have an agent, when you're first applying for screen work, they will say, well, let me see your showreel. So then you've got to go, ah, but I haven't had the screen work yet. So what ends up happening more often than not is you pay to have one made. There's no harm in it. Don't feel ashamed. I've done it. They've all done it. It's fine. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, we, w- there are loads of showreel companies out there now. Um, the one that I used has changed their names now. So I can't actually, I was going to give them a little shout out, but then realize that they, they used to be called Ultimate Showreels. They're now called something else. Um, there's one famous, there's like a famous fringe one and I want to rep the fringe ones a little bit called two, yeah. I- called two idiots and a camera, which is great. Um, so what, what it then becomes. So we've got the ideal situation, but by the time you've got all the, all that footage, you're already quite successful. So what happens when you're further back, when you're further back, don't worry about the ideal situation. Just think about the absolute basics. Okay. So a casting director for a screen job, they want to see how you look on camera as opposed to on stage. They want to see yeah. how you sound on camera as opposed to on stage. If when you're first starting out, just think about those things. How do I look and how do I sound on camera? That can be your first goal. So like, because what happens is, and I know it's rich for me to say this because I'm running a podcast where I'm giving people advice, but I think a lot of people try and chime in their two cents and it all gets very, very crowded. Uh, this came up on a on an acting group, on the, on a Facebook group called Actors UK quite recently where someone put, oh, um, what does a showreel need? 
great. That's exactly the kind of thing you would expect someone to put for a yeah, chat yeah, in a yeah. Facebook group. And th- before you know it, you've got people going, well, you need to show that you can take direction. It's like, what? No, you don't. That's not a show real thing. What are you going to do? Play a scene, record a director giving you direction and then play the same scene a second. <laughs> that's not... That's not a showreel, and I, I actually—I could get people to hire me to tell them they're doing it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, and I, I actually remember that day commenting, going, "Guys, I think we're overcomplicating it. If we just say the absolute basics, how do you look on screen? How do you sound on screen? Because it's a medium. It's a medium in of itself. You know, there's a difference between performing live and performing in a studio. It's the actor's mm. equivalent. So, if yeah, nothing yeah. else, that's your goal. How do I look on screen? How do I sound on screen? Then, if you're going to go to the next goals yes of course in an ideal world you want to show range how do you show range what does range even mean let's talk about some stuff let's talk about some do's and don'ts do not do not include extra work that that's not you as an actor i'm sorry i look you and i met doing extra work but you're not that's not you showing that you're an actor. That's not you showing that you got cast in something. That's not you doing any proper acting. That's you stood I mean, in a crowd. To be fair, though, I think me getting off that train was the highlight of that film. Yeah, but I think that says more yeah, about but... the film than about your acting. <laughs> so don't. I am, I am like the best getter off of trains, but please continue. I knew this girl. Oh, man. So there was this girl I met who shall remain anonymous. And I met her through a mutual acting and performing friend. So I really, really tried to get along with her. But you know when two people just, no conversation feels on the same page and she was really nice. And I just found myself going, I'm just not going to say what I'm thinking because I don't want to hurt her feelings. <laughs> She put, and again, I don't want to, oh no, I, I can't tell the details because it will, okay. She included in her showreel um, a gig that she was at when she got pulled up onto stage and her defense was, but it's a DVD. And I was like, but you're not acting. You got pulled up on stage by a famous singer at a gig and like danced together. That's not bit weird that's not you showing what you can do as an actor yeah fine put that on social media be the girl from that thing great that's not your showreel so so don't show things that aren't professional i know i don't want to say aren't professional work because that's got its own connotations but no extra work no um no recordings of you on stage that's a different thing that is not a showreel that's that's something else okay um there are loads of things, but those I had another one, but I can't remember it. So those are some things to avoid. What you want to do is show yourself. So don't go too nuts. But if we want, if we so like I said, if we're looking at range, you can look at different accents. For example, a scene in your normal accent, a scene, but even then, you better be good at that accent. You better be so good at that accent. Like a really good example, an actor friend of mine, his, he, he, when we talk together, he sounds a bit Welsh. Like he's, he grew up in Wales, like the accent's there. But in his showreel, he went to the two extremes. He did, he did his RP accent and then he did his boy from South Wales Valleys accent. Great, because he can do both brilliantly as yeah. if he was born there. Uh, another way to show range is, at, oh, that was the other big don't. That was the other big don't. Oh, I've got two already. Right, before I forget. Another big don't. Don't show montages. Don't show you stood at the top of some stairs looking out at the view. That's not acting. That's weird. No, they do don't it. You need a montage. I think it's because, I think it's also because when people get commercial work, a lot of the time it is montage style stuff. 
But again, that's that's not giving... What is someone going to get from that? You can stand on a cliff with music over the top. That's not... You're not showing what you can do there. And also, just avoid the the really intense stuff. And this, this, I think, applies for any kind of audition room. Unless specifically requested, I would strongly advise that we avoid uh, the really intense things. Don't put a triggering, serious... Uh, scene on your showreel that's got loads of swearing and screaming and trauma or rape or murder that's that's not the point it's not actually no but like people when you're younger and I was guilty of this when when you're younger you think but I can do it I've got that emotional depth and it's like yeah good for you but that is that can be very overwhelming for someone and and also sometimes it could like for example i i'm not mad about it i think it was great that year but when i went to arts ed the the third year acting ba students their um uh what's the word showcase which is everyone does a little bit of acting kind of thing uh like a variety thing which we can talk about on another day but their showcase was back to back exhausting scenes that had crying and funerals and breakups and all of them were like look how well I can cry and I was like look those skills are amazing and but imagine you're a casting director and you're watching a lot of these it's exhausting and it's invasive and it's just not necessary a showreel is stage one you know like it, it it it's almost it's almost e- I mean it's not almost easier but, but but it's like think of think of how many TV shows you've watched and like yeah that stuff is in there you know yeah. but a lot of people want you know there's 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 think of how many conversations between two actors that you've seen in any in any of your favorite series where it's not all crying and screaming oh my life is over etc yeah. I think also this is this is harsh but you need to hum- people need to humble themselves in general sometimes because there have been some stunning, stunning um, screen performances of crying and emotion where I've been brought to tears and I've been like moved by them. You're competing with those. Don't try it yet. Don't, don't, don't put that kind of pressure on your showreel. Just show mm. yourself a little bit. Show some acting. So show some bits you can do. Some castings you might fit into. I mean, I was actually interested. I, I was thinking about something i just that i was thinking about with that go on just quickly yeah yeah now i'm i'm not an actor i don't know what i'm talking about people um one of the reasons that uh i i love doctor who because i'm a colossal geek and um it was lovely seeing david tennant he was my favorite doctor um come in and obviously you know he'd done so much shakespeare and and, and so much stuff he's on the west end actor, yeah. um it's so so blooming good right and people always loved the scenes with him where he was um where he was really emotionally bombastic and, and really put him out there and i was like you know yeah it's really good but the stuff i actually really loved when i was really looking at his face and and, and working out what he was thinking and really intrigued by him was the stuff when he was subtle as balls you know and Absolutely. i don't know if that's i don't know if that i don't know if that's a fair comment because no, i'm not an actor i don't have those skills again but that's the stuff i was so interested in But also, even when you do get to the big emotional things in a story or a film or a TV series, you don't press play at that moment 
I think this is no. a really good way of getting to the heart Context. of the issue. You build up to them. You build up to the breaking point, which means an audience, anyone watching is there with you and they feel the exhaustion or or the tension that's led there. You cannot physically put that into a showreel. No. So, whereas, yeah, subtlety, vulnerability, hints of things absolutely get that in there but yeah i i think that it's i think it's a bad storytelling idea and i think it's a bad way to show what you can do to try and get someone to jump into a story at the 11th hour like that and expect them to go wow i was so with you i was so moved that is a lot to ask of a 30 second clip yeah that's that's nearly impossible just don't don't it's not needed it's really not Let's continue about some guitar stuff. So we've covered some strings and some frets. Say you've set up your guitar. Um, say you've got you, the, the right string gauge you like. You know, it's 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 the right um, thickness of the strings, the right tension, the right action. Blah 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 blah. You got a, a, a guitar you really like. What you shouldn't do is leave it in a place where the temperature changes all the time. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. 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 Because so the attic is bad. Yeah, don't chuck it in your blooming attic. Or leave it don't in your car boot it. or something. Yeah, don't do it. None you of need those. It, you need to keep it inside. You need to keep it somewhere where the temperature the temperature change is, is quite subtle, quite quite low. Yeah, don't do not do it. Don't put things in places where temperature is going to be all over the place. What's going to happen is your wood is going to contract and expand <laughs> with the temperature and the moisture. Oh, that came out slightly wrong. Oh, Cole, does your wood, wood contract and expand with moisture a lot? Yeah. Oh. That, that, let's, let's, that let's not rephrase that. I just that. Did really I'm going hard or I'm going home is what he said on that Happy one Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> We record so, a week in advance, but it's the day yeah. after Valentine's Day right now. Yeah. <laughs> the cackle I just did really upset my microphone. That's going to be fun later. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I'll just judge you. Great. Carry so, on. What happens with temperature and with moisture is that you can really fuck your guitar. Um, you can really, you know, muck it about. And it means you have to pay more for a setup. Don't fuck your guitar, Amber. <laughs> Everything I'm saying is coming out as an innuendo. <laughs> You know, you really can fuck a guitar. You said you that can. in that kind of way that's like, I've tried, it works. <laughs> you know, there's that big sound hole in the middle. All right, show off. <sighs> Jeez. Anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll be good, I'll be good. You were saying. No, you, were you saying. won't. No, that's won't. a lie. I'm sorry. That's don't. a lie if ever I heard one. I know. Can so, you imagine being my teacher at school? <laughs> must have been awful. Bloody hell, you just cackling like a, like a, a like hag a, like in a, the corner. Like, like a, like a, yeah, I am. And what? And what she says. Oh, you look like I've upset you. I'm sorry. It's all right. I don't have feelings. I don't, come um, on. Go back, go back to your... What was happening? You were expanding and contracting. I've tried to say it like three or four times now. Okay, I'll be, I'll be what good. I'll be good. I'll be good. Heat, heat and temperature. And you've got to think about um, the rooms that you keep uh, guitars in. Uh, and any any instrument, really. But uh, you've got to think about it. Because um, if, you, and you, if you have a guitar that is, um, you know... Uh, changing uh, temperature all the time it's gonna the 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 setup is gonna go completely wrong and you're gonna need someone to set it up for you or if you're really good you can set it up yourself now that's a whole skill set in itself and it's one worth practicing is learning how to change your own strings learning how to adjust the truss rod um and muck about with the bridge of your guitar if you need to to get everything right and perfect you know um it's a really useful skill and people will pay you good money for it. I, I've paid like 80, 90 quid for people to do stuff to guitars before, you know. 
Um, and you really don't want to have to be doing that on a regular basis. You want to just maintain your guitar by making sure that it's, um, you know, it, 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 you know, being maintained. Um, there's another thing to do with that, actually, with necks. So there's two types of way, ways of attaching a neck to a body. Well, there's actually more. There's more. Because you can have like a through line neck, which is all one piece, which goes right through. The neck is actually right into the body, right? You can have it all one piece. That's quite rare. You can have guitars that are like one piece and then they stick two bits on the side oh, for I the body. Oh, I see. Like as in the guitar is built with that whole yeah, shape Yeah, one in big mind, strip of wood. Rather now, that's than not, two that's different... not usually what you do. What you right. usually do is have either a bolt-on neck or a glue-on neck. Now, there's positives and negatives to this. So if mm. you're going to have a glue-on neck, typically Gibson Les Pauls are a glue-on neck. They're also quite well known for ending up with headstocks being snapped. I don't really know why. Um, it seems like people just aren't looking after their guitars. Always look after your guitars, guys. But there's like a thing about yeah. that. I'm not sure why it's come up, but probably something to do with tension. But they have glue on necks. What that means is that if something happens to the neck, you are utterly fucked. You are utterly fucked because either you have to have it steamed, they have to like compress it and steam it. You have to go to a luthier and have to pay 200, 300 quid to have that done. And then you have to get a neck to replace it, which is going to cost you absolute balls. Oh, as in they steam it to detach the broken they, one. Yeah, to, to melt the glue. A bit like so when you you're opening someone off. else's post and you don't want them to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolute PI ninja. Anyway. Did you so, never see that? It was on like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I can't. No, like, I just know how to do that. You get, you get a kettle and you put it over a yeah, kettle. Yeah, over the kettle. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, right. we've all done it. We've all done it. We've all read our neighbours' posts and worked out that they're secretly selling secrets to the Russians. or Secretly something. selling secrets. Well, you wouldn't do it openly, otherwise it wouldn't be a secret. God's sake, Amber. Uh, I'd anyway. be such a bad detective. I get really. I feel really, really anxious around the topic of lying. I think it's one of the reasons that I'm such a in one way blunt person and in another way if I've got nothing nice to say I say nothing because I yeah I, it, you'll either get my opinion or I'll I'll just sit on my hands and bite my tongue because lying truly creates like stress in me it's yeah it's it's weird I hate that. It. people have I hate like it. uh physical anaphylactic reactions to lying I I hate lying yeah, and they usually went to Catholic school good at it which is quite sad <laughs> yeah fair um, yeah, Catholic school beats all that guilt into you, doesn't it? It um, really fucking does. Like, yeah, oh my God. Surprisingly good at it, but I don't really do it. So that's nice. Um, you would say that a though, few wouldn't times. you? Anyway, yeah. so well, you're steaming you the think, net. You think I like you as a, as a person. Uh, I, I mean, if you don't, you've I just wasted not... your own time at this point. Yeah, exactly. Really? <laughs> um, steaming, steam, yeah, steaming off the blooming net, you have to go to like a luthier or something who's like a woodworking guitar I'm just picturing someone at like the gym in the steam room with like a towel and the old man but the guitar to try and detach <laughs> it that's the image I that's got that's not quite how it's done <laughs> but yeah I mean I've I've been lucky enough never to have it done I, I bought a secondhand Gibson Les Paul and I had to sell it because um, the neck was warped as in the neck was like bendy and all messed up um, and that's one of the things you have to be careful of if, if you don't you know if, if you bugger about with your guitars and if they are exposed to too much temperature and you accidentally knock them over or something that happens things become warped and the neck becomes screwed and then there's only so much you can do um, and that's I reached a point with that guitar where I was like I'm just going to sell this on to someone because the tone was really good but it was impossible to get the intonation right and we had to do loads of weird stuff to it and uh, file down frets on it because it was so old that the frets had lines in where the strings had been digging into them it was like a, it was it was it was from 97 as well which is a real shame because 
like the late 90s, early 2000s. For some reason, Gibson had some really good bits of mahogany and the wood was really good during that era. Um, but yeah, it's a big shame. So the other option, instead of glue-on necks or having like a through neck, which isn't as common, is a bolt-on neck. And I'm... I mean, I, I, I think I prefer bolt-on necks, generally. Um, there is an argument about the connectivity um, between the neck and the body with uh, bolt-on necks. People think that they sound a bit brighter, partially because there's a big metal bolt going through it or four big metal bolts going through it um which is going to make it sound brighter or they think there's a bit of a last less uh a lack of contact between the neck and the body um there really is an argument there but if your guitar has been really well put together generally i'd say that you're probably not going to notice much of a difference i do think they sound a tiny bit brighter than glue on necks but the advantage is if i knocked over a guitar which I'm not going to do because I'm careful with all my guitars, but if I knocked over with a guitar and snapped the neck, then I could just replace the neck. Mm. And that wouldn't be as huge of a problem if I had a glue on, as if I had a glue on neck guitar. So, um, you know, there's stuff about, uh, as I've said, the quality of, of the build. Whoever put your guitar together and if they really know what they're doing. Nath um, has an amazing Stratocaster, which was built by a company, uh, a guy whose company is called Wire Dog Guitars. And it's a phenomenal guitar. It's the best Strat I've ever heard in my life. And it's a bolt on neck, but the, the connection is like so smooth. It's incredibly smooth. Um, the uh, the resonance is amazing it sounds phenomenal we're doing so many demos on it at the moment and everything every single demo has that on it and then like another fatter guitar because a strat is always going to sound like a strat it's like the kind of a thin uh thin neck uh a relatively small body and it's all maple and so and it's got single coils and if you listen to the last show uh where i talked about this stuff you know that, that those are quite kind of thin materials and you're going to get a twangier thinner sound but uh, it will be more kind of clear, uh, more kind of true to what the guitar actually sounds like. But what what I do, and it's a trick that a lot of people do when they're mixing guitars, is you have two guitars, one guitar that is uh, a, a kind of thinner, jangly sounding guitar, and then one guitar that sounds really heavy. And that's what uh, ACDC did with uh, Angus Young playing his Gibson SG, which we've talked about in the past, and then Malcolm Young playing a big fat Gretsch, which is like a... a, a Gretsch is another famous guitar make, one of the other really big guitar makes. There's one um, song that I... I think I, it was actually a song that I sent to you once yeah. called Warriors of Time. And I it, I love... It's one of my favourite intros. And the thing that makes it good is it's... I think, I think I could be wrong, but I think it's four different guitars and they've all got a different sound. It's almost like some weird, beautiful four-part harmony mm. with different guitars. And it's beautiful highly there's, recommend giving it a so listen much, warriors of time it's called there's so much about um production techniques as well so some people stack guitars when so i i've watched a really interesting video recently about how how different producers um want to get a really big fat guitar sound and so some of them will get like loads of guitars and they stack them and mix them. So some of them are really hitting the bottom end. Some of them are really hitting the mid range. And some of them are really hitting the top end. And some people... Um, my my favourite method is, is, is using less guitars, but maybe doubling them up. So like, I'll, I'll get maybe four guitars on a track. And um, I do the ACDC method. Now, if you... If you 
listen to an ACDC record and you have two speakers and you put them either side of you, um, the whole point is to replicate um, what happened on stage. And so you will almost only hear Angus in one speaker, which should be the right speaker, and you'll almost only hear Malcolm, who's the rhythm guitarist, in the left speaker. Um, and the idea is you're creating what would have happened live, where you've got the two amps on either side of the stage. And what people do is you put the singer in the middle and you have the drums, which are kind of spread out a bit, and you have like the snare just just right of the center. So that's where where it sits in front of the drummer and the toms the dun, 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 go like across a bit. And then you have that kick in the middle and you have the bass in the middle and, 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 and like the singer is kind of in the middle. Um, I mean, I'm not the perfect mixing engineer, but that's that's how a lot of people uh, kind of orchestrate um, where they pan things P to pan things is where they where they put it kind of between two speakers or in surround sound and where they kind of put different things and my it, music it tech pans. boyfriend did a whole project based on this when he was at uni it's so it's mr so music tech we shall call him um yeah. he yeah he he did a whole project that was literally he was being marked on where you put the instrument and where you put the mics yeah and how that and i remember being like okay so he needed multiple instruments so he was like can you learn this on piano in a day i was like ah, stress and you then they what? were like <laughs> they were like can you transpose it um on the spot i was like absolutely not <laughs> if you wanted me Brilliant. to do that you should have told me a week ago so no but yeah you had three of us sat at different parts of the room playing instruments and the whole the whole thing he was being graded on was exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah it's it's Oh, it's it's that's a whole thing. I've 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 stopped talking about guitars and started yeah, talking about mixing, mixing techniques yeah. and stuff. Um, but you know, um, there's so much more more to do with that. That's just again scraping on the service. But ev everything to do with this stuff is is just huge. Um, I think there's I've talked so much a bit that people about... don't realise you have to think about, and that I think is just such a common thread across anything artistic. Um, I can't remember what we were talking yesterday about. Um, have you seen Dunkirk? I've not. I've been waiting to. Cole, honestly, it is a phenomenal film. But um, the reason I bring it up is uh, basically a lot of the biggest Hollywood directors have said that's one of the best films they've ever seen. And I mean like Spielberg, Tarantino. They were like, that is my... F I think it's Christopher Nolan, isn't it, Dunkirk? That's yeah, my yeah. favourite Christopher Nolan film. And they were there saying... Um, we were literally talking about this yesterday. Um, they were there saying, "There's this one shot." Um, I the don't one know. tracking shot where he's running over the trenches and you see fucking everything in the background. Even I. There's seen so that much shot, going yeah. on, but he, the, the, there was a director that went, "I don't know how they did that," and it made me realise wow. there are probably so many little tricks and techniques that I don't even know about. Yeah. Um, but that a lot of directors do. So then when something is so impressive that the the biggest A-list Hollywood directors are going, I don't know how that's done. But my point is there are all these things that we just don't even think about. You could yeah, show yeah. me two different shots and I'd think it was a similar skill set and they're just not. Hmm. And I think that's that just rings true with all the th stuff you're mentioning. Uh, apparently one of the reasons why... I, I always think one of the reasons why, honestly, the biggest kind of touchstone 
um, this is a brilliant film or this is a brilliant piece of media thing is actually generally, I think, a big part of it is down to the music. Because if you touch on anything like Star Wars or, I don't know, Lord of the Rings... Every time I um, hear the start of the you know, Star Wars music, I ba, ba, get a little ba, ba, chill. Ba, ba, no, it's, it's know, the chord that comes before it. Ba, ba, and you're like, my solar plexus just starts shaking. Oh, it's beautiful. But also, like, there's music and then there's also sound design. And the sound design in Dunkirk is Dunkirk. Hans Hans Zimmer, I believe, was the one who did Dunkirk, and he had this thing uh, in the background at almost all times. You can hear this ticking clock. Um, I think it's that one. Unless but there it's are also points where those the are use two of films that I haven't seen. Oh, 17's good. Nineteen Seventeen's also really good. Anyway, shall I? Right, go. I've said a lot of stuff to avoid with a showreel. Let's chat about good things. Good things for a showreel, okay? Now, tell me what are the good things to put in a showreel? Now, Anna? again, this is this is us. I'm now discussing it as if you get to choose. Yeah, you're writing the scenes. You're you're manufacturing this trailer of your acting, and that's not a bad thing. But I'm just remember, I'm talking about that's the level that we're at here. Not. When you've got big jobs with big actors, use use the best and the most impressive stuff for sure. But when you're you're hiring a showreel company company, sorry, um, and you're you're doing it yourself, here are some good things to think about. So we've already mentioned multiple accents. Uh, if you are going to do that, uh, make sure the first thing they see is your natural accent. Uh, two reasons: one, sorry about it, they very rarely watch the whole thing facts they very rarely watch the whole thing so show them the thing you can do best and the thing you can do best is your own voice okay so start with your own accent only throw in an accent that you know you can do so I throw in I I filmed an extra scene last year um and I threw in my American accent and the only reason I I felt confident enough doing that is because I have had I have been paid good money in film to do an American accent. So I'm like, right. Someone literally said, I'm casting you and you're going to do that accent. Mm. So I, it kind of spoke for itself a little bit. And even then did loads of practice beforehand. Uh, personal note, I felt like because of, of lockdown part one, I felt like I was really rusty and I kind of want to redo it, but that's okay. That's not the end of the world. Okay. But anyway, so if you're going to do accents, that's great. Make sure they're brilliant and start with your own. Um, visually, visually again and all I'm saying is learn from some of my mistakes so you have to remember that the any the camera somehow sees everything and somehow distorts things so we were talking about when doing your headshots you want you uh, and how I was saying having long wavy dark hair give it a bit of style and a bit of curl just because otherwise it will all just merge on the camera do you remember we said that last time so think about those similar things again think about clothes um and how they look on you Uh, I'm not saying it has to be flattering I'm saying so for example again one of my showreel scenes I I was playing like two friends having a chat on a bench right so I Mm. I wore this new jacket I had because it made me feel all trendy and cool and and um, it was this nice, it was, it's a lovely color and I love wearing it. It was this peach pink color. However, on my slightly tanned olive skin, not white skin, not black skin, it all kind of merged and it was literally the definition of something washing me out. And I was like, mm, never wearing that color in a showreel on screen yeah. again. So, you know, just learn trial and error is part of it. That's fine. Um, 
But yeah, that's something to bear in mind. Just be- just make yourself bold. Make yourself stand out. If you're going to use footage of work you've actually done, short films are great for showreel material. But again, make sure that you're actually acting. Make sure you've got more than one line. Make sure, oh, this is an important thing. I'm going to slow down a bit, but this is important. The person watching needs to know who they're meant to be focusing on. Mm. So obviously you need someone else in the scene um you can do monologue stuff that is an option but some some casting directors aren't the biggest fan of that so what you really want is a version of the scene where you're telling them to look at you where you're you make yourself the star of that 30 second clip so um i i did a scene with a friend who i was in a show with we both did it together but we got given like a three minute scene I chose a section where I did most of the talking and I was on screen more. She can choose a different section for her show. Real, this is none of my business. But, you know, show them who to look at. Show them that they're here to watch you. If they're watching your show reel and they're looking at the other person in the scene more than you, you've done something wrong, I'm afraid. Um, back on this range thing, you can vary the atmosphere. So the a show reel I did that I was really really proud of it's just again it's been a few years so it needs it, I, I it already feels like I kind of want to move on from it your castings change and that's fine but one I was proud of uh was because I found small but powerful ways to contrast the two scenes I did I did two scenes um I don't I think more than that is unnecessary again unless you've got the big professional credits to back it up mm. um but I did two scenes and I tried to think of, right, what are two castings that I can offer? One was a kind of Londoner, scrappy little thing, kind of yeah. EastEnders-esque. So I had almost no makeup on, nothing done with my hair. And it was me and a girl having a bit of an argument. So it was it was gritty. It was like a slightly cockney version of my accent cool and then the second scene i put more makeup on didn't look too done up but i looked like a girl who tried to look good um slightly brighter colors and it was a slight comedy scene where the idea is uh this this young girl is being scammed by someone saying they're a big music producer i think i saw that yeah exactly so um it was comedy without being dumb and slapstick and me going although the comedy was shit she's dumb and the comedy was her then working it out a little bit and going hold on um but it wasn't it wasn't me going over the top and you know trying to flip over the backs of chairs or or, or whatever so find subtle ways to show the range but yeah it is just an unfortunate i know and then in that one i didn't change my accent that much it was just my slightly politer accent i'd i'd say it was my phone voice you know (laughs) hi you're through to urgent care cole speaking how can i help you exactly that one uh hello amber speaking that one hello amber savas speaking so just that's you that's my impression of you right now is that me is that me well you did it wrong that's you yeah Yeah. hi i'm amber sava i am not from essex my name is amber sava and not a lot of people know that i'm not a fan (laughs) of the accent anyway so find subtle but strong ways to contrast but yeah like i said chances are they're gonna like at most jump through it at the minimum someone will do if they're getting to the stage of watching your show reel they'll at least watch the first 10 seconds so make that the best mm. bit. If they want to keep going, they might skip and go, okay, I've seen a bit of that scene. What's the next scene? So then they might watch mm. 30 seconds in total. But that's kind of all you've got. Unle- I mean, and then you, this is, again, like I said, it's it's the, it's one end of the spectrum. Like I remember looking up um, 
loads of really good agencies and their their actors and the show reels of those actors you know just doing my research seeing examples and uh, if i say juno temple you know who she is Cole, yeah? i do not she's huge juno temple okay uh her, she's done so much that my brain's just gone completely blank. She's done Boom. loads, loads of English movies and American movies. Um, Atonement. She was in Atonement. Little red-headed girl in Atonement. Uh, I never saw that. She was basically a child actor that kept going and did really well. She's... Oh, uh, do you know what? Oh, fuck. I'm, I'm just, having a cheeky Google, don't you I'm worry. I'm a cheeky Google. My point Sh- is... Hey, go, go. Her showreel is like eight minutes long, but they are all... Like, all of them are clips from her having the lead part in films. She did a couple of, like, teen British movies. She was in, like, oh, Wild done, Child. Like, year One. She was in Year and, One. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a, that was a big Hollywood film. That was I after. Think she was, was she Maleficent? I never saw Maleficent. But she, she is, like, she's sure. in so much. And my point is, I remember watching her showreel. Her showreel was, like, seven, eight minutes long. But every single one of them was her having a lead role in a very big feature film. So, yeah. like, yeah, good for you, babe. Go for it. You're, you've earned Fair it. Fair enough, chum. But before that, just just be prepared for someone to skip through it. Look, find the best bits and then move on. So you want to really make your point. Show some casting. Show some accent work. Even if it's subtle, um, change it up a little bit between the scenes and yeah just show them what you can do and like i said if you're unsure of anything else just bring it back down to how do i look how do i sound on screen is it the same as the other scene is it different if not how can i do that and that's it clarity there we go i think clarity clarity is something to really keep in mind by the way just to end on as well we have got a handful of messages through um we haven't oh really God. had we haven't really had like questions and things to spark us chatting more but what i've really enjoyed is we've had people saying things like oh my gosh i i saw that show and i totally agree with you or oh my gosh i'm so glad you said that that is a pet peeve of mine as well or Sweet. or like again uh, music tech boyfriend heard you say the thing about pe- in the first episode we did about about annoying bands trying to nick your instruments or your amps or your good stuff. Oh my god! And he yeah. was like, "Yeah, they just I've steal been all their there. mics. They steal all their mics. Every, <laughs> every, like, like he'll know about this. You, you, your gentleman friend will know that bands just nick mics. They do, yeah. And he totally related to it because he was in a band for a few years as well. So, I mean, we haven't really got any questions or big stories to read out, but we definitely are getting people going. I really resonated with what you said, and I feel like that's been our big Aww, goal the whole that's time. That's good. So that's freaking sweet. Isn't I'm over nice? the moon. Yeah, in that nice. Well, anyway. with that, with that, shall we? Uh, shall we do a cheeky sign-off? Let's do a cheeky sign-off. Do you want to do it this time? Cheeky sign-off. Okay, folks, you have been listening to Riffs and Scripts. My name is Coleridge Bryant. My name is Amber Sava. As always, if you want to get in touch, it's riffsandscripts at gmail.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Catch you later. Bye. Peace. I need to burp. Thank you. If you do not put that after the credits, you're the biggest fucking hypocrite I've ever known. (laughs) What? 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 I don't know what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's going in. It's going in. Good. Glad we agree. You prick. Anyway.